Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 15, How Alcohol Addiction is Changeable with Annie Grace. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Changeable. I'm happy to have you back and I'm really excited to have my guest today to introduce you to her. Her name is Annie Grace. You may have heard of her. She is the author of a book called This Naked Mind and she helps people stop drinking. And what I love about Annie's work is how she helps people stop drinking. Now, I don't know for sure that she would say it this way. I think she would. But when I read her book, This Naked Mind, in the summer of 2017, I thought, yeah, this is totally, totally what I'm talking about too. So Annie used to drink a lot and started to really see some things about that drinking habit or addiction that completely changed it for her. It wasn't this process of, okay, I'm going to wean off the alcohol. This is my plan. These are the behaviors I'm going to put into place. There might've been some of that. There is for many of us. But what Annie writes about and what I think her experience was, was really a process of seeing through the illusions of alcohol. So seeing through the way that we've been marketed alcohol, that it's been branded and we've been a little bit brainwashed by happy hour and it's this and it does that for you and it does this for you. Seeing through those illusions that we even are up against in our own experience. So when you, whatever your habit is, fill in the blank, when you take a drink, when you smoke, when you light that cigarette, when you work all night long, you know, when you bite your nails all the time, when you binge eat, we become superstitious about that. These are behaviors that we fall into consistently, habitually, over and over again. But we do it because on some level, it looks like it gives us something. And that's what Annie and I talk about today. What drinking looked like it gave her, what our habits and our addictions look like they give us and how they can't possibly give us that. We don't even need that. You know, they look like they give us security or well-being or they make us more social or they make us, you know, better in our relationships or better at work. They can't do that. That's within us. Or they look like they save us from something, embarrassment or I don't know, social awkwardness in the case of alcohol, whatever it might be, but they can't really do that. Now we experience it that way because that's what we expect to see, but they can't do that. And so starting to see through the illusion, you know, see through these misunderstandings about why we think we do the things we do is really huge. So I'm super excited to share this conversation with Annie. Hi, Annie. Thanks so much for being here with us. Hi, so good to be here, Amy. Yeah, it's great to talk with you. I'm really excited to have this conversation about change and in particular around drinking. I loved your book, The Snaked Mind, and I'll be, I'll be linking to it and giving some information about it. But maybe just kind of briefly, yeah, tell everyone sort of the change that you had around drinking and kind of what, what you attribute that to. I think, you know, drinking is something that I tried to change for a really, really long time and was not successful with it. I was trying to do things like set rules for myself around drinking and I, I couldn't do it. It was, it was like 
banging my head against the like wall. And actually when I tried to set rules or make things, my drinking got worse. And so I was in this space of being just baffled and confused and not understanding what it was. And then won't go to the whole story, but basically I had this realization through a bunch of circumstances in my life that actually I had some subconscious beliefs, some unconscious things that I was thinking or believing, some stories that I was telling myself that may not have been true. And when I started saying, okay, well, wait a second, is this true? Are these things that I've accepted, like the sky is blue and the trees are green, are these things actually true? They started to kind of unravel and it was for like, no, they were just missed, you know? And it was then that I was able to really change because the things that I had been so, that were in my way weren't actually of substance. Oh, I love that. That's exactly like what I love talking about, you know, how how we we try so hard to change something that looks so real, but it doesn't work because we're trying to change something that isn't really real to begin with. But when we can back up and really see it for what it is, it kind of dissolves. So what were some of those things for you? Like, were there like a handful of kind of, of beliefs that you had? Yeah, I really distilled it down to probably about nine, but I mean they all circled around either alcohol being adding something to my life, like pleasure, relaxation, better sex, better social life, loosen up, or taking something out of my life, like removing stress and, or, you know, numbing pain, numbing loneliness, taking boredom away. And so the questions I started asking myself is, well, why do I believe this? And is it actually true? How did it even occur to you to ask those questions? Like you had tried a million things and and it sounds like your drinking got worse, but was there a moment or like a point you got to some kind of realization where you started to look in a different direction? Yeah. And it was so unrelated to drinking. Um, I was under extreme, extreme back pain and it was weird back pain. It was pain that would come and it would go and it would be worse some days and better some days and nothing I did. I mean, I saw multiple doctors, acupuncturists, chiropractic. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. It was horrible. And I lived for my life about three and a half years like this since my second son was born. And my dad had actually recommended a book. He was writing up a gondola with a guy who said, this is the best book on back pain ever. And he said, here it is, Healing Back Pain. I read this book and the premise of this book is that sometimes your brain tries to protect you from painful thoughts by suppressing pain within your body. And that pain manifests in things like depleting your muscles from oxygen or something like that. So it's actually real pain, but it's coming because your brain is saying, here you go. So the pain, it's like this unconscious process. And I read this book and my pain went away and it was the most life-changing experience I ever had. It was the first time ever where I was like, wow, there is a power that is happening inside my brain that I don't even know that is bigger than me, that is bigger than the awareness I have of it, that is bigger than my conscious understanding of it. And it's really powerful. And so I just started thinking like, would this work? And I formed this theory. I remember drawing this like triangle on a piece of paper in this frantic moment of like download from the universe of like, oh my gosh, like I think that the same thing's happening. I think that I have this desire to drink I have this desire not to drink. I think these two things are at odds. And I think the reason they're at odds is because I have these subconscious beliefs that I picked up along the way that are completely at odds with my conscious knowledge. So was it, it was Dr. Sarno's book? Yeah, Dr. Sarno. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I love that so much. It's like, 
you know, just like how I kind of see that in a simple way is, is we're always feeling the stuff that's there within us, right? We feel it. So whether you're aware of it, not aware of it, whatever, we feel it. And it just creates this kind of tension. And isn't it amazing and wise that that it's sometimes better for us to have back pain than to than to see. And sometimes that's all our only option. Like we have pain or we have a habit or an addiction or whatever it is, however that comes out. But I love that of like just kind of seeing in anything really, maybe there's a bigger wisdom driving this, you know? And it sounds like that's ultimately kind of what started to crack that for you. It's like, wow, what's in there? Maybe that's really, really going on here. Yeah. What's, what's below the surface? What's happening that I'm not aware of. And when you start to ask those questions, the answers start to be revealed. I mean, it's really phenomenal. I think all of it starts with asking a question, like what else is going on here? And for me, you know, in just the simplest way I can explain it, some of the, some of the first questions I started asking is I remember going to a 30th birthday party with some great friends and it was in my hometown, Aspen, and everybody was around and I was pregnant. And I remember having this beautiful fall day and not having that much fun because I wasn't drinking. But it was really a different experience because, I mean, I, I often would do that. I'd be the designated driver and not have that much fun because I wasn't drinking, stuff like that. But in this instance, it was a really different experience because these were the people that I'd grown up with, that I'd gone to high school with, that I had thousands of memories with of having an incredible good time. But no alcohol was ever there. And so it was one of those moments where I was like, well, wait a second. Like, why now? What? Wait a second. If, if my belief is that alcohol is vital to having a good time, yet I'm here with all these people and I'm remembering all these incredible times when alcohol wasn't needed, then that, that belief can't be true. And so then that question was like, huh, what is true? What is really going on? Yeah. So what was the path like then? Like, so you mentioned that you, um, you started saying, okay, I think that alcohol gives me all these things. And then I think it also saves me from all these other things, which created this big tension. Um, how did you get to a place and how do you see other people get to a place where, where they can see like a different source of well-being? You know, like alcohol looks like this powerful thing and it is chemically, of course, you know, it, it alters our experience, but if it doesn't save us from loneliness and it doesn't give us happiness and fun and all of that stuff, like, I don't even know what the question is. But like, you know, like that stuff occurs to me, like it, it's within us. It's in there already. When we have a peaceful mind, we get to tap into that. So was there sort of like a process in you kind of discovering that that, that was in there and didn't, didn't have anything to do with drinking? Yeah. And it was definitely a multi-pronged process. I mean, I think the first step was just becoming aware of what, what the thought was and, and was it really true? So I looked at, is it internally true? Things like, did I always need alcohol to have a good time? Did I always need alcohol to relax? Why has it changed? And then I really started looking at what was scientifically true. So I looked at well, does alcohol actually neurochemically relax a human being or not? You know, does it add stress? And truth is it releases cortisol and adrenaline and it also numbs your brain. So your brain like slows down its thinking process. So suddenly you feel more relaxed, but for a very short amount of time. And then you come out 20, 30 minutes later, the other side with this stress hormone being released as a result of alcohol. So I was like, oh, so, so that's not actually true. And then just through that process, I felt these things really letting go of me, but then it opened up this whole new world of, okay, then what am I going to do to relax? 
And then that was sort of going back to, okay, well, internally, what did I used to do to relax before I drank? And I remember so vividly living in Manhattan. And this was really when my drinking started and I would get home from work and I would always put on my running shoes and go for a run to like de-stress from the day. And then we were going out for more and more happy hours with my job, which is really where my drinking kind of began. And I remember coming home one day and saying, look at my running shoes and being like, oh, but there's a bottle of wine. Same, same. And just opening the bottle of wine. And then all of a sudden, all these things, like I used to have all these things that, um, I would be reliant on. And it was like, I would, I would run, I would have time with friends. I would have reading, I would have community, all these things. And alcohol was one of those things. But then all of a sudden I took away every other thing. And then alcohol was the only thing I was standing on and it was just crashed. And so I think that in that moment, I just really started to say, well, what was I doing before internally? What was I doing before to relax myself? And then externally, okay, what does the science say? What actually relaxes us? Because by the way, the things that we do for relaxation are very counterproductive most of the times, but we all know the real things, you know, the things, meditation, exercise, um, community, stuff like that, that we are just uh, take a little more effort, but are actually much more fundamentally profound in terms of giving us the relaxation we are looking for. Because you've worked with so many people, talked with so many people who have read your book and and worked with some of them personally. And like when people are getting onto this and they're seeing alcohol in a different way because of what you're showing them, I'm sure I know that, you know, I'm sure it runs the gamut, but are, are people pretty receptive to kind of seeing, oh, this doesn't give me what I thought it gave me? Like, what's that process like sometimes? It is almost like a light switch because once you just ask yourself like the simple question, like any human can say, okay, drinking, am I more less relaxed the next day after drinking? And it's like, oh, oh geez. Well, of course I'm less relaxed. Like I haven't actually done any, if I was stressed out about that work presentation, I got drunk instead of doing it. Now it's still hanging over my head. I now feel physically worse. And so often just asking that question is like a light switch. But the truth is that we just haven't done it before. We haven't asked ourselves those questions. To make it almost worse, I think that we've made it almost socially taboo to say, am I drinking a little bit too much? Like that, that we can ask that about, am I eating too much sugar? Am I not getting enough exercise? Whatever. But we ask that and everybody's like, oh my gosh, really? Like, are you? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's quite, um, it's almost a shameful question. And so I think just bringing that back into the light a little bit is, but once you start asking the questions, people are like, oh, of course. And how, how was I ever believing that this was like the end all be all for relaxation? Because clearly my experience doesn't show that, you know, it's not that people are digging their feet in and being like, no, no, really it does. I mean, what people can say is yes, really it does numb me. And that it does. I mean, alcohol is an anesthetic. It used to be used in surgeries until they banned it because it was too toxic. And so it numbs you. It numbs you to the point of rendering you completely unconscious. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's true. But there's very few people who are saying like, but numb is where I want to be. And if they are, then the question is, okay, well, what are you numbing from? Yeah. It's, I mean, the way you describe it, like a light bulb. And then once you once you see it, you can't believe that you didn't see it before. I mean, that's real insight. And that's why it lasts for people, you know, because there's an actual shift that you can't unsee. Now you can fall back into old behavioral habits. Your mind can go back to where there's some momentum, you know, where it's used to going. 
But once you kind of have those big moments, it's really hard to, to unsee that, which I love about your work because it's like, it's not a Band-Aid fix. It isn't do this, do that. This is going to fix it. It's like, let's see what's really going on here. And I just think that's, that's always where real change is. I love in your book when you wrote about how you recorded yourself drinking that's, <laughs> I mean, first of all, that takes some guts <laughs> and, you know, and so, so basically you were like starting to drink and kind of testing this theory of like, you know, does, I mean, you could say it better than I remember because it's been a little while, but, but like, does this actually look enjoyable? Does this feel as amazing as my mind tells me it feels? And I think you found that it didn't, but it, it reminded me of like, I mean, I used to sometimes binge in front of a mirror, not intentionally, but if that was the only hiding place I had, (laughs) if I would just catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror, it changed the whole experience, which Mm. is so telling, isn't it? Because it's Mm -hmm. like, we're in this thought created illusion of how we feel and what this thing is doing to us. And then just seeing it clearly for a second, just zaps the whole illusion. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean that even, I didn't even have to watch the videos, you know, because it was just so clear and so apparent. I will say just as a caveat, you really need to have been sober for at least 30 to 45 days before trying that because otherwise alcohol creates an itch and you're scratching that itch with the next drink. And so you need to be able to be scratching, but not itchy. And that's a very different sort of feeling than scratching an itch, you know? Yeah. Well, read the book, you guys, and you'll see. <laughs> but it was a great, it was a great thing. It's like, wow, yeah, that that makes sense, you know. And it just again shows you there there isn't it isn't about the substance doing something to you that's so amazing. It's it's really about this kind of illusion that we're in about what it does and what it does for us that just seeing through that illusion changes everything. And I mean, placebo proves this over and over and over again that our belief about something is just so, so much of it. So if we go somewhere believing that we're not going to have a good time without a drink in our hand, we will not have a good time without a drink in our hand. And then that confirms it. You know, it's, it's very cyclical. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap this up, like what, what do you see about how changeable people are? Like what, if you had to say kind of like, here's the thing of all my readers, all the people I've worked with, here's here's what I see there in the people that experience some kind of deep lasting change. What would that be? People have the capacity to change well beyond what they realize. Like it is infinitely more than they realize. I've seen that in my own life and in thousands of people's lives. I think that it all, however, hinges on believing that you can no matter that you have all the tools, that our brains are basically plastic, that they're malleable, that you know, with the right habits, you can change literally anything. People can change beyond our wildest imaginations. If you don't believe that that's true, or if you don't have the hope that that's possible, it stops you in your tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Annie. It's been great talking with you. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Changeable. If you're enjoying this podcast, please let me know. Please subscribe to Changeable and leave a review so that others who need change can find their way here. If you want more on how change really happens, head over to dramyjohnson.com and grab the free PDF, Three Simple Ways to Break Free from Habits, Anxiety, and Addiction, even when you've already tried everything else. See you next time.